0: Hello, and welcome to the Cash News Podcast, informative conversations about all things currency and cash. We'll share insights on the issues affecting the world of cash today, like cash security, payments technology, and the cash supply chain. Your hosts, Tom Meehan and Sean Ferrari, hope to inform industry professionals and support better cash security and management by sharing the latest information on trends, strategies, and technology. This is the Cash News Podcast. Now, here's Tom and Sean.
1: Well, we're back. We have a guest. This isn't the first time the guest has been here, so everybody already knows he's more famous than Sean and I. Brad, what do you, Sean, what do you say, man? What's the good I word? I hit the low
2: bar to be more famous than you and I, so That's a, take the <laughs> and I'm the already a very, very low bar to begin with. Right? <laughs> but, what? So welcome, welcome to Brad. Hello, everybody. Good to see everybody again. Um apologize. My voice was a little scratchy today. I got... I don't know if it's allergies or a cold or what, but, you know, here, drinking some coffee. Looking yeah. forward to chatting with you two fine gentlemen today.
1: Great. Yeah, and I think it's episode, I don't know. Uh, 46, like, I think. 45, 46. Almost 50. We, we're going to have to have a party during episode 50. Um, yes. Yeah. It, maybe we might be able to finagle doing episode 50 live together in Mexico. That might actually, uh, it might actually happen. We could we, do, we we do might work. be able to do that. It would be amazing if, if we could actually have pretended that we planned that, but we didn't. And so, Brad, it's awesome that you're here because last week we did like a quick 20-minute episode and promised that we were going to talk about all the things we learned because we did that episode, I think, the... Two, you know, so it was a Friday that all the banking stuff happened, and we did the episode on like a Tuesday. So we were, it was still fresh news, right? Like no, we, they weren't even sure what was going on at that point. So we want to talk about that, but, but Brad, just in case someone doesn't know who you are, I want you to tell everybody who you are and what you do.
3: Sure. So I'm I'm Brad Moody, uh, executive vice president of operations for Laura's Risk Group, an enterprise risk management company, to where we help help customers protect brands, profits, and people pretty basic
1: awesome awesome and uh we have Thank to say full disclosure uh uh brad and brad has been on before brad's also a, a good friend of of mine and sean so it should be a fun a fun podcast not what that not i think do. every pod, fun podcast is fun but we'll just be talking we start?
2: About, we'll be talking about financial disaster but that's okay other than that <laughs> yeah. that's great yeah. It'll be fun good
1: <laughs> yeah. times i mean uh yeah, so uh, I actually didn't publish it yet, but I, you know, I, I wrote an article about geopolitical risk and every single potential possible thing that could occur in science fiction in science fiction books, right down to aliens. Right, is happening right now. If you read all all the news, so let's let's it. It's a loaded week, right? The Fed raised the interest rate. We've got banks collapsing. We've got. Uh, Credit bought by UBS this morning, Deutsche Bank stock fell. So should we start with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and just talk about what we know and kind of where we're at? Yeah, I think so.
2: I, I think um, the other thing we can weave in there as we're going through this kind of in the bubbling in the background, I earlier this week, I went to um, uh, Blockchain DC, um, or DC Blockchain, actually, which is a very as a name would imply a fintech conference (laughs) here in uh dc uh put on by the digital chamber of commerce um it's actually a great event um but to the the point you just brought up tom um, there's definitely a the the mood in the room from the crypto side of the house the blockchain folks was the best word i've come up to describe it is bitter Um, it was a definite bitter vibe in the room um towards the regulators and towards Washington in general. And I'm sure um, being in DC it's amplified a little bit. But I think you know in, in talking about what's happened, I think there's, you know, it depends what side of the the house you're talking to, but there's this perspective of don't blame the technology, blame the regulation, lack of regulation, regular financial system. this would have happened anyway. And then on the other side, it's, well, it wouldn't have happened quite this way without this technology. So, you know, you get a lot of a lot of finger pointing back and forth. But it was a, an interesting, very interesting day um, to kind of hear both sides in the same room with both, you know, folks from the Hill there and the crypto world there kind of discussing it. So
3: anyway, yeah, I, can, I, I can only imagine the, <laughs> the conflict there with everyone's personal opinions weeding over this. Right. And everyone's going to be very passionate because it's their. Their business or likelihood right so <laughs> how do you take a position when everyone's got a position right <laughs> right right the good news
2: is i think you know and hopefully this is where the discourse can go nationally around this is that even though you did have kind of those two sides of the house or sides of the not conflict sides of the issue they're discussing things um you know once they kind of got out their initial Statements that they thought they had to get out. Um, it then did turn into a more productive discussion. Um, so maybe you know, maybe we can get there.
3: But right, well, uh, you know, just to kind of continue on that vein, I'm not sure. I, I just sent you guys uh, an article though, but I get updates whenever something happens from the state level, um, specifically to the ATM world, because obviously the Bitcoin ATMs are a big consideration, and every state is making their own judgments and opinions. And I'm, I'm not sure who the author is of these, of these policies, right. And if they're fully engaged and fully understand the implications that this has on a global market, forget the state, you know, Um, it's just very interesting to see there's, there's very large variances within these policies and they're changing day to day. So it's really hard to keep up. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, 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 fear the industry.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, I think it is hard, hard to keep up and it's, it's confusing. And I mean, even when you look at something like, um, a central bank digital currency, right. You've got, you know, I mean, that's a, to me, it's a, a I don't want to say a simple example, but an example of what should be a, by definition, central bank kind of national digital currency. Given the title of what it is, yet you have states now saying, <laughs> governors of states now, anyway, saying, we will not accept this type of currency here in our state. Right. Um, or you have states saying, we're going to develop our own digital currency. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting dynamic out there. It right
3: makes, makes me worry about the volatility portion, which has always been the big concern, right? Of, you know, what, what, what trigger is going to happen for some type of regulation that's really going to start affecting the perceived value of that of that crypto? And yep. what is that going to do to the overall dependency on that? You know, the people that have really invested heavy into it, what's it going to do when a state comes out and makes a decision? You know, it's basically devaluing the or potentially devaluing the the value. Right. Uh, right. I I, just, I think it's an important feature that people need to recognize.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is together last, that was what we were kind of taught, right? That when we were together in San Diego and you joined us, Brad, that was when the crypto apocalypse was happening. And, um, you know, without the risk of being super cynical here, I think all I, I can't speak for everybody else, but I know at multiple times I've mentioned like, hey, there's no regulation, there's no standardization. Um, this is you're gambling. Like, that's well, what you're I mean, doing. Yeah.
3: I mean, you <laughs> wonder, does does Singapore have it right? You know, they were pretty early in the game and, and kind of laid their ground rules and they built businesses around it that way, right? So, you know, what's who knows what's right?
1: Uh, yeah. I think the regulation or the potential regulation or some of the things that are occurring, there's a couple challenges. One, if you make it so confusing, no one can follow it. If, yeah. if you're not consistent in at least the premise... Then you're in the the same scenario with so many other things where state to state is different. But then the other thing is, how do you create regulation without standardization, right? There's Stablecoin means four different things. If you add like, you know, cryptocurrency, there's just all of these different things. So like when I'm a firm believer of, of regulation, I also know that we talk about it on the podcast all the time that we think there's a place for crypto. But then in every conversation, even that we have, it ends up weaving in central bank digital currency, which is not crypto. And then it ends up weaving all these other things. And then you mentioned the ATMs, which, you know, are not really crypto. They're just a way to exchange that crypto. And then you get into this realm of, well, if the ATM was only Bitcoin, would it be okay? Or is it because you're allowing other crypto? And if that creates a challenge, there's no standardization. And I, you know, I'm... I wish I was an early adopter. You know, I sold my early Bitcoin for nothing because I thought it was a, a game. But I, I think as I watch it now, it it we're in this muddying the water water phase for folks of like their regulation without standardization becomes really, really challenging. And then when you think of like a signature bank, not us not the Silicon Valley Bank, like signature bank. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was what Sean, you might remember, it was like an 80 billion dollar they had and and almost 20 of it was invested in crypto and they lost it all and it was like yeah i'm not sure that that should have actually happened but you know if there were, that's where the regulation really comes into play so this is different now this is a bank who has FDIC insurance investing in crypto there's probably needs to be regulation around that because then how do you get into it but then again is is the regulation different for a stable coin than a non-stable coin and then how do we get past an algorithmic stablecoin or a somewhat backed stablecoin? It's a really complex challenge.
3: And who's running the quantum too? I mean, when you think about it,
2: yeah, yeah. You know, it was interesting too at the at the conference this week. They were talking about kind of because it was digital assets they were really talking about, right? So crypto and digital currency had a piece of it, but it was also just all forms of digital assets and and how the blockchain worked. But you know, one of the interesting things was. There's a whole panel on taxation of it all and started talking about regu- regulation around that but just from a theoretical standpoint they were talking about you know what these these things these electronic things that we're trading now it's basically back to bartering right it's it's bartering electronically so you've we've gone from having like a barter system to a national like currency banking system and now we're kind of going back to Bartering, <laughs> and how do you? We're trying to to put these controls and regulations in place that work debatably well around the financial system and money transfers and that sort of stuff. And we're trying to say, okay, now let's put that onto this other system um, that maybe doesn't really fit it. Uh, well, I think
3: you, I think you nailed it on the head when you look at the taxation portion of it. All right, that's I think when the, the taxation portion of it when you look at what the cannabis industry did right it's it bailed these states out of bankruptcy from the federal government subsidies so it was a it was you know depends on who you believe but it was a good thing for the for the federal government just because now they're not subsidizing the states and building roads and stuff like that because they're bankrupt and couldn't support their own infrastructure so um the same should it happen with crypto probably to an extent right Otherwise, it's free money, and why wouldn't everybody do it until they, you know, lose all their money? Because somebody goes on Saturday Night Live and says something bad about a, a cryptocurrency, and you know, and it kills the, it kills the value. I mean, it's just too volatile, in my opinion, to uh, to to not put some type of standardization around. As, as Tom said, I
1: I also think one thing that we we don't I don't think we really talk about even on the podcast a lot. Is and you started to say it there is, uh, but with a lot of crypto, there's it's just riddled with fraud. A lot of cryptocurrency, you really actually don't know who even how it starts or what it's even worth. And I mean, right? The only woman on the FBI top 10 lists created a cryptocurrency and took all $4 billion of it and disappeared. Like it is in some cases, while you're almost totally outside, uh, outside the constructs of everything we do. Like I laugh about like the Dogecoin example. I actually, bought dogecoin for like nothing and then forgot about it and when that came i was like whoa this is amazing but the whole point is that to this day if you look at any history there's somebody that owns 80 percent of dogecoin it's probably the person that created it and there's no way to actually tell so you create almost a fraudulent ecosystem um and 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 You don't even know if it's fraud. Blockchain doesn't protect you. We know that. Like the FBI has proven. Like if you really, you can uh, once you turn it to cash. If you follow the trail, you will. But these, this, this Dogecoin owners never turned it to cash, so it's just remarkably hidden. And there was comments about like, and uh, this is not my comment. So I want to make this very clear that this was the this was out in public that you know is it possible that Robinhood Financial and Coinbase actually created this and and that was. And while it's just a theory, like when you tell it back, there's no way to tell because there's no regulation, because there's no this. Taxation to me is a no brainer. Look, you've got to pay taxes on money you make. Like you have to do that. That's the way that the world is built. And if if not, then we are really, you know, we are money money learning. We are committing right. real crimes and we're built on the infrastructure to pay tax. That's how we ser- That's how we build things. So I, I think- back in the day regulation was about taxes now regulation is about like we've got to put the lid on the jar because people lost billions of dollars and we're not even sure what happened like it's this and we talk about confidence and we're talking about bank collapses like how is it that billions of dollars were generated in in really this euphoric fictitious digital currency and now the it's it's very similar to the the confidence is what was driving it and now It's it's you're now down that on Do I think it's going away? No, but I'm going to throw a curveball because I think this is interesting is and I just read this this morning and we didn't we don't prep. Right. We we usually just for the (laughs) listeners, we get on and we talk for 15 minutes about the same stuff we're talking about, but it is just conversation. But like there was a a really good report um, that was really long. It was I think it was 20,000 words um, about Cash App and the fraud on cash App, and how former employees leaked information that between 40 and 75% of the accounts are fraudulent. And by the way, this Brad, you know, you, you know this for what you do. Of course it is because it was designed in a way that criminals could use it. That doesn't mean Jack Dorsey created it for fraudsters is fraudsters and criminals take advantage of things. And this is like AI. I keep saying to AI I don't the, the risk of AI is, that the bad guys use it to do bad guy things quicker, but with the cash up, as Sean and I were talking about it when it when there was reports about Zelle and all these other things. This isn't because the company did something bad; it's right. because because this you can only put so many safeguards. And it, it's funny they they all link together because like this article was really more about true fraud scams where people are using cash app to to perpetrate fraud and, and, and you know get people to, a lot of it is like business email compromise and scams but then they're able to launder that with crypto because they can then transfer to crypto and, and create this chain so we are in this really I think it's because I'm a technologist and a risk guy I think it's it's very interesting and really shows the need for Brad and I, right. Like, like really does like, cause the, there's a real need. And Sean, by the way, like, you know, this, like you, you need someone to be the, a lot smarter on the economic side. Although Brad's really a banker too. I'm not, I'm the only one that's dumb on the call. So really, like not, not the banking economic background, but, but like the, in, in all seriousness, like we need more than regularization and, and standardization. We need a, a recognized, big business approach I think I know that's anti-crypto but like when you think about it if you look at Singapore the reason it worked is because it was built around or the reason it's working so I can't say worked right because working yeah working is because it was built around business not it was built around that commercialization aspect of it and I can you know I can not I can't guarantee it but I'm pretty sure if that was the way we built it here that you know, big business t- tends to drive things. So I know I we are talking a lot about digital, but I really want to get into what you guys think on Silicon Valley Bank, um First Republic, signature bank, all, all of the things that are going on, ba- on banking. And I know we had some banter before, but what are the thoughts? I mean, Sean, you on, you and you and Brad to have some banter on that. I would love to. Here we, we owe the audience kind of an update on what happened, what is happening, and what we think is going to happen. So-
2: <laughs> well, that's a big crystal ball mess you just tossed out there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, it's, the good news is, we haven't seen, it was basically a crisis of confidence, right? I mean, uh, you can get into all of the underpinnings of how the banks were were formed and what kind of deposits they were holding and all that. But at the end of the day, it was money started being pulled out quickly. Um, interest rates were higher. The treasuries they were holding to, to back a lot of the the money, the deposits they had, they were holding a lot of, of assets and treasuries. Um, those interest rates were low um, compared to where the interest rates are now. So the basically the bank had to realize a loss on them and they, they couldn't sell their sure. You know, market those treasuries. So, you know, you can argue, was that the proper mix of assets to be holding in today's environment? Maybe they should have been a little bit more on top of that. Um, I don't know. But at the end of the day, you have really large depositors that hold a lot of money in these banks. These aren't, you know, your typical neighbors and mom and pop down the street with their life savings. It's more a Lot of the in the and particularly in us people of with Tom money. money that's what it is it's people with Tom money that people know. with Tom money yeah exactly yeah the the billionaires out there um the tech moguls um have their their money in there and when you have a couple of them take the money out that affects the, the balance sheet very quickly I don't know. Well, well yeah I mean,
3: and, and to echo on top of that it's you know so on the bank solvency stuff it's when the it's when the reserves and loans exceed the liability. So these companies, as you said, they're they're designed for the wealth management investment bank mm-hmm. side. So my question is, is that from the did they withdraw the money because of lack of confidence, or did they draw the money because their 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 capital investments that they were making, you know, angel investors and those, if they weren't seeing the return on those kind of investments, so they started clawing back the money because everybody invested in tech just like they did the 90s and and you know the tech boom that had a bubble right and i'm really i'm kind of curious to see what type of purposes this these large billion dollars were drawn out because sean as you said that these are people with with accounts with multiple multiple layers of, of money within it corporation and personal so um i'd I just don't know why the money was was, pull, was pulled out. I I don't know if we've heard that answer yet. So
1: yeah, no, you're right. Well, I, I don't I don't know if we ever will. One thing that it you you hit this is why I love when Brad's on because you hit something that we didn't talk about last time. But it is that the you know there was public information of VCs calling people saying get get my money out of that bank. <laughs> it's not your money. It's my money. And then the question is, were they asking for it back? What, what, you know, like, cause that, you know, or were they saying the transfer The, the, you know, it, it is remarkable to think that Silicon Valley bank 90% of had over $250,000, 90% of that. And so now you don't know though, you don't know if 5% had, you know, 80% of the banks about, you don't know, we don't know that, but we know companies like Etsy, which is a pretty. Big profitable company. They're not, they're not, they're not looking for money, couldn't pay people, couldn't pay their sellers for the weekend. We we know publicly that that there was a very large, and I don't know the name of it. I, I just payroll company that catered to tech companies that couldn't run payroll for the week because their money was not there. We know that these were not small. Some of these companies were not, they were massive multi-billion dollar tech companies involved so to your point Brad, like where is that money did it get re put in now we, we do know because bank of america because these you know publicly traded companies you can watch bank of america got 15 billion dollars of you know deposits in a one-day period that the assumption would be some of the and this is mm-hmm. definitely the subject moved it over but that 15 billion doesn't equate to the other money i mean there was 40 what 40 5 billion or 42 billion in a 24 hour period withdrawn, which is a massive amount of if you really think about it.
3: So yeah, the other thing I think, and this is kind of goes on to my 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 previous world, right? Of so when you have that that wealth management treasurer, you know, that person that they they take care of high net worth customers. That's all on job, right? And it's it's traditionally known that when they leave, they take their whole team with them to the other bank, right? And they literally stand up and they walk out and everybody follows them. They go and they sit down at their new desk and boom, they pick up right where it was. It makes me wonder was it treasury analyst or somebody that was out there? Did they leave these banks and go to a different bank? You know, it makes you wonder what type was their treasury product that kind of steered that. again, it's no one's going to admit anything, but it is interesting how money is being moved to a new to a new bank, which thank God, you know, that I hate to say it, but you don't you, you don't want the kind of you don't want that kind of money sitting around and and being reinvested into something that's shady but you would kind of also like to see the the user confidence portion of it come back um and kind of segues and you know i i was you know i remember back in 2007 and 8 when i i saw my stock go from 52 dollars a share to what two two dollars and 75 cents right in the matter of a month that that user and, and consumer confidence portion of it. I think there needs to be a very clear distinction that a retail bank is very different here, and you you got to look at the health and stability, that and the regulations. Going back to that, that was installed after uh, after the collapse in two thousand eight. You know that was a, a that that affected mortgages primarily, right? And then that trickled down to other stuff. Well, one of our biggest concerns was, of all stupid things, somebody local campaign. You know, some kind of local person, you know, social media wasn't as large as it is now. But how great would it be if some influencer said, hey guys, let's go protect our money. Let's go down to this branch and grab all of our money out at the same time. Branches don't hold that much currency. ATMs are going to empty it out. And next thing you know, the media is out there. Oh, bank of bank of tom, you know, is now they don't have money in their branches. You know, it's that that media spin cycle that really is a bigger challenge that I think people need to breathe, right? And, and understand everything is lit it let it balance, right? There is a there is a balance to the ecosystem.
2: Yeah, no, I think so. I mean it, it's it's just a different not to oversimplify it, but it's it's essentially you know one of the first kind of bank runs we've seen for this type of this type of kind of investment cyber silicon valley type bank right and it's and just as like your example just as the you know bank runs in the past kind of resulted in everyone kind of going to the bank (laughs) and taking money out with them um you don't you know and and word spreads fast around a community we all we all know that and it's this and i would imagine uh not being one of the people that banked at SDB, unfortunately or fortunately depending on how you want to look at it <laughs> but um they i would assume just like in a, in a normal bank run everybody a lot of those circles know each other especially if you're in the vc space and, and you know all it takes is a couple people emailing i would assume <laughs> slacking back and forth kind of just being like hey this is what's happened i'm taking are you taking your money what's happening and then you get the chatter everybody goes and yeah. You have billions of dollars
1: going somewhere else. I I think it's important to say, too, that, like, um, while this is all happening at the same time, first, I have to say this because we're on a podcast is I actually do have First Republic stock. So it's important to say that everything I'm saying is my opinion. I have no, like, I've been on just, just, it really is. Because, but the, the reality is, it's really important to say that if you look at Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank and First Republic, you kind of have completely different, although you have high wealth in some of these, but they're first, you know, First Republic is a high wealth investment bank, right? Silicon Valley Bank was tech, the heavy VC. Credit Suisse was a mass, like what? The second largest in Swiss. And But if you dig in, you can see they had a lot of things going on in Credit Suisse, you know, C-suite things going on. Then you have Deutsche Bank, which I'd be lying to you, I I don't know enough about to talk intelligently about it. And then you have Signature Bank, which, you know, 20 billion of their 80 was invested. They're all, they're all, they all Mm -hmm. have similar challenges because of the run, but they're very, very different. And Sean, you said it at the beginning, and I'm glad you said it. It's like, you can slice and dice Silicon Valley Bank every which way to say they should have, should have, could have done things differently. Oh, they invested too much in these bonds at low interest. But the reality is, that was actually the book, right? That was what you were supposed to do, right? Like invest in these because these are safe. The the pandemic, all of the things that happened. This is where I went back to the risk model. Like, it, as a risk professional, it is a nightmare to go like mm, global pandemic, global supply chain issue, war, alien invasion, um, <laughs> social, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, civil unrest in in, uh, in major metropolitan. And you check all this, there's no way as a risk professional, You it, it's like, it's actually a really quasi, like, how do you decide, like, because everything that's, that could happen is happening at once, you know, and then crypto, you know, crypto, all of the things happen at once. And then you're in this quasi challenge of the book that we all read and, and follow has never been, hasn't been updated since 2008. Like you said, in, right? It hasn't really been updated since 2008. And then my concern as an individual and as a business person is that if if you tighten regulation too much, you could artificially create consumer confidence to go down. Because if you just all of a sudden say, we need to have much more assets and banks and then open up a book to a public bank, someone who, oh, my goodness, they only have the minimum that they're supposed to have. I'm getting my money out. It's actually this wheel that is is a really tough one. And I wish I wish I knew the answer. But I confidence banking is all about confidence, right? It's that you trust your bank that they're going to make good investments with your money. And and it will protect it. But at the end of the day, the FDIC insures to 250, maybe they'll raise that. Um, But like, I struggle when I see bailout, like it's not actually a bailout, it really is insurance. And banks are really paying into it. Now, if it goes beyond the the amount that's in the fund sure does this does this payout at silicon valley bank and signature rate strain the fund if some if more banks went under i mean sure i guess but like it's yeah you know, it's a lot of things moving at once
2: <laughs> yeah that it is um and i think you know two two things uh you know another another discussion i think we talked a lot about kind of the the dangers and the volatility in crypto and the need for regulation one of the other panels they had and we're going to do something similar in in mexico city i think um is kind of the, the talk about kind of some of the actual good use cases right for for digital currency and crypto and sometimes it gets lost in the wash but there's some really interesting use cases out there right now looking at um whether it's Afghanistan refugees or folks in the Ukraine um, where or just normal charities like Care and others where they're really looking at ways to use things like USDC and, and other stable coins or crypto out there to get currency where it needs to be quickly. Um, and, and let people pay, you know, from one person to the next in a in a war-torn area or something like that, that enables me or others to send money. Now, does it possibly enable nefarious actions as well? Sure. Um, but there are some really good social and societal in- cases that can be made, I think. Um, it's just how do you keep that stuff uh, and, you know, regulate where you have to. Um, I don't know. Just it was just a, another interesting kind of aspect of it that I think gets lost sometimes.
3: <laughs> you know, one thing that I'm just—I just looked online. One of the predictable things when people fear, right, value of value of the economy, what they do, they buy gold. So, one month ago, one troy ounce was two thousand fourteen dollars. Today, it's historical high. So it's oh, sorry, it was. 18 it was 1817 dollars now it's 2014 historical high so yeah. you know what, what's going on yeah, goes to show you the comex it doesn't lie it's an it's an indicator yeah yeah you know the other thing i know we've only
2: got a couple minutes here but i'd be curious because i know in san diego um you guys were both up on stage with me and we had a great panel and one of the things we I remember you scaring the audience about was basically getting TikTok <laughs> off of everyone's phones uh, because of all the monitoring. I was just curious. I know yesterday um, they were up on the Hill. Uh, th- let's put aside the fact that, you know, some of the legislators and some of the Congress folks were calling it TikTok and clearly didn't know what they were talking about. But other than that, <laughs> I just curious for your, your guys thoughts on, on that. Um, and kind of a, a future TikTok ban or, or what, or any, anything.
3: <laughs> I don't think China would appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, but you're <they're> not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, do
1: you want to, you want to go first on this one? Cause I, no,
3: I, 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 I want to <laughs> hear, I want to hear yours. Cause mine, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I've okay. got two daughters,
1: right. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so I, I think this is a, uh, this is a really, really challenging piece because what I I stand behind what I said at San Diego. Uh, uh, but I think there's a couple caveats, is all social media collects far more data than people really realize. The the TikTok piece becomes really, really challenging. One, because their algorithm is better than everybody else's. It really is. Their terms of services cross into this quasi-space that Facebook and the other social medias, Twitter and these are we're we stomped on earlier on in life because they're US companies where um they still do very similar things, but there are a couple things outside of the China element, before I get into my thought there, um, that are are concerning for me is that you you are allowing TikTok, whether they do it or not, is is a question because I can't really actually say they do or don't, because they're publicly they're not public, they hide exactly what they but you're giving them access to actually create a digital footprint against all of your devices and that's where i go like wait a second there's really no reason for them to want to do that and by the way they can do that and so that was one of the things that i i really were concerned with the fact that they have access to your contacts as professionals in banking and government there's some risk there but but the reality is that um all social media ask for access to your contacts you, whether you realize it or not whether you give it to them but behind the scenes the, the concern I have is their algorithm is so powerful that it really can change, especially a younger person, um, change the narrative for them because it, it is powerful enough to give them the story they want to hear. And that's a fact. That's not me saying it. I would argue that uh, Facebook and, and um Instagram could probably do the same thing, but um, you have 150 million users a day. So pretty big number in the United States using TikTok. So I think the fact that they have a little bit more information than I can logically see what they would need even to sell your information to someone um, is a challenge. Before I get into the China angle, I always like when technology companies go on the hill because it just shows how... Ridiculous we seem, and I don't know who it was, but I saw the video someone sent it to me this morning, and he's, he, you know, the question was, does TikTok have access to the internet through your Wi-Fi? <laughs> and you can tell you can tell by the pause that the ceo said well like yeah that's the most ridiculous question i've <laughs> heard yeah, like I, he said I, I don't you know he did the typical what's what social media founders do like i'm not sure i understand your question your question asked to get it, and then said but of course it would have access to your wi-fi <laughs> because that's how it and then he asked <laughs> any further this said, so technically it could have access to other devices on your network here's the thing Yeah, technically it could, but the TikTok CEO's answer was right. I don't know if we do that, but technically I guess we could. But here's the thing. In the terms of service, you're actually telling them they can do that. They're allowed to do that. That's the scary thing for me. Um, And so here's the Chinese government piece. Regardless of where you fall on, on a political standpoint, the Chinese government, if they own something, does have legal access to that data. And All of the firewalls and things in the world would not stop it if if they wanted to. By the way, if the Chinese government really wanted the data, they're going to get it. I mean, let's put it that way. But we're giving it to them. And then here's the other thing. TikTok has, and there's evidence to support it, um, they have done nefarious things with people's information, you know, with, with journalists, you know, things like that, like tracking journalists. There's no reason that that they can justify they classify journalists separately and track their and then potentially shared it with the chinese government we don't, we don't know to prove it so it's a it's a loaded challenge my i use tiktok because i use social media for work my kids do not my kids are a little younger but if i don't keep tiktok on a device that i have sensitive information but i just want to make it clear like I don't keep Facebook or Twitter or any other social network on there because I know what the risks are. So I think the larger question, and I'm going to throw a grenade in, I can't wait to hear what Brad's going to say is, is there a chance that some of the US social media run companies are lobbying against TikTok because TikTok is destroying them, like destroying their user base taking Is there a chance? I'm not a conspiracy. There could be a chance here that that some that Google and Facebook and Twitter, who were, who were really the leaders, are now losing market share to a Chinese-owned company. So there is a, and, and this isn't this isn't politics. This is this is capitalism, right? The strong survive, the weak fail. So I don't know that TikTok getting bought by a U.S. company is the solve here. Um, so yes, there's risk.
3: I don't know how much risk technically getting bought does that go back to the the rules of the natural beneficial ownership right and so there there's i think there's a not only a a, beyond that being creating a veil right between the between the ownerships i think that creates a very gray massy area of what's interpreted right and maybe you may own it but that doesn't mean you don't grant access to others on some type of contractual arrangement so or, you know, hey, I'm not sure what's going on. You know, that's that's for the show, my opinion. I, I'm going to, I like what you're saying because of, that bothers me. But I'll tell you my personal opinion to throw another grenade in the room. It's, we learned years ago, right? That fraudsters and hacks, hackers, right? They don't look after our data, us, They've started gathering our, our data from our children, right? At a very young age. So that when they become 18, 21, 25, and they grow and they go as they typically do, they grow up, they get they get a credit card, they buy a car, they get a job, they get, a, you know, that this is information is be gathering for um, the purposes of creating fraudulent accounts to create bad stuff, right? And I think it's more of a danger to our next generation that now we've given them the permissions as the algorithms continue to grow and get bigger and better, it's easier and easier to gather gather this information for nefarious purposes. That's that's my big concern. It's from, I, the, from the fraud, from the fraud exp, uh, event.
1: My, my opinion there is you're spot on. I, I would argue that all social media, including LinkedIn, is a fraudster's dream because we give them information that they need to 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 create a persona like if you really dig in if you went to Facebook LinkedIn uh Twitter Instagram and TikTok you probably could answer it you could probably find thing out you know what school they went to. You know where they grew up. You know what city they were in. You know where they were married. You can even guess questions based on what they post. So I, I've often said that. But at the same time, I use social media because I'm a proponent of it. I, I think that we're in that, that quasi world. So I think you hit the nail on the head. Here's the only other thing I would say about TikTok that is not risk purse, just as a father. I think that TikTok and a lot of these are are dangerous psychologically to children. And I'm not a psychiatrist. Dangerous. And I mean dangerous, like where I I believe childhood suicide and depression has changed because of social media in general. And I believe it's also common sense if you look at some of these videos. Why? Like because they perpetrate images that kids want to emulate from every angle, from sex, from popularity, from technology. So I wish... I wish that we could figure a way to solve that because I didn't grow up with this. You know, Facebook was, I was out of college before Facebook was around. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with this. And when I see my children, I, I you know, it's hard being a child already. any kids are, are hard tough. Right. But this is like a really weird, like you're hyper hyper stimulated with all of the things that we arguably didn't have to deal with. Right. We dealt with one-on-one with people. You know, we we didn't have this constant piece. And then, you know, the stimulation of, of the constant, like the addiction piece. So it's a tough one. I do think TikTok will either get bought or banned, though. That's my opinion. I don't think they'll survive as a Chinese company. I don't think that we are in this position that they will. And, you know, that's just my opinion. I could be totally wrong. I think that the whole CEO on, on Capitol Hill is is an exercise. Sorry. That's my yeah. opinion. I don't. I don't actually think it's to do anything more than to show. It's kind of a posturing piece. And I think he did a. I actually think he did a good job based on what he. You know, I. I watched him, and I. I always think it's humorous, but I also like. You know, you're lucky that you don't have a crazy CEO running the company. Like, you know, if Elon was on Capitol Hill, he would tell you what he really thinks. Like he would actually tell you what he really thinks. Like, Hey, that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. Of course it connects to Wi-Fi. How are you on this seat? if you don't know that, like that, it would be, that would make my day. If someone said like, yeah. ask me a real question, but I also, would. Uh, I'll close on my TikTok with this. I also love that. He got asked multiple times how much money they made. And he, and he just kept saying, we're pop, we're private company. We're private company. We're private company. You know, like that, that, it, at, at a certain point that, you know, that, I would almost like to to see the government kind of be able to create regulation of, Hey, shouldn't you tell a user how much money you're making on their data? Like, shouldn't you explain to them the monetization side of what you're doing? That would be amazing. Right. That would change the whole, the whole tide, but all right. Um, final words, Brad. I mean, I wanted to talk Can we? can we, Brad, do you have five more minutes because I really want to hear about what's going on with cash and risk. Sean, do you have five yeah, more course. minutes? Yeah, of course.
2: I have nothing but time.
1: Yeah. So Brad, like we, 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 this is exactly what we like to do. Just have banter about random topics that, that are current events. Um, But, you know, I know that you and I speak enough and I know that you're, you are really the, the expert in the space of like risk around physical cash. So can you, can you give us kind of an overview of what you're seeing today is the trend continuing to be bad, good, all of those things And, and, Whatever you feel comfortable talking about. I
3: mean, that, that would yeah. really be great. You know, yeah. So, you know, fortunate enough that our company deals a lot with the armored care industry and banks and financial institutions and stuff. So, you know, from not only from the audit, com, audit compliance proportion, but also from, you know, surveillance and some other, you know, we help, help them out with that. It's not a sales pitch. It's just what we do. Right. So that's our exposure globally. So we're doing this from a global scale. The one thing that we are seeing is that now that the fed rates have increased that the cash levels inside vaults are starting to really decrease quite a bit right so now that the banks are finalizing that there's a monetary value that's forming banking investment within the fed system so we're starting to see that kind of the money in reserve since it was free money for so long right because the fed swap rate was so low that's now creating a little different environment which is good it's a good thing right less cash out in the open so the one thing that's that's a riddle that nobody's going to be able to understand at this point is you know calling it the great resignation you know from the is was it created from the stimulus checks it doesn't matter right but from you know the people that don't aren't working they're not the ones that are actually committing the violent crime so we've seen an increase of recently in armored car attacks which is terrible right super terrible because they're when they're being robbed, they're generally being robbed by, you know, three people or more heavy armament, right? So we're talking about long guns, assault rifles, um, uh, shooting first, asking questions later. You know, it's, it's a violent attack. this is the general to the armored carrier, which is a tough job. And those guys, those guys deserve all the respect in the world for what they do. It's, it's, it's an impossible job and I appreciate what they do. But the, the riddle is, is that, the, the people that are doing that type of robbery were they also doing it before the great resignation yes were they employed maybe so is that a result from the economic change or is that just convenience right so there's we're everybody's trying to tie i don't know if you guys experience the same thing but everybody's trying to tie everything into oh as a result from covid or because of covid right and I don't necessarily believe that that's a case. I think that the the world is evolving and things are trying to right size themselves. But the area of you know social media, as an example, being used for flash mobs, right? To go and they're used in social media to attack retail establishments, to go in and blow out a, a a Nordstrom or a Neiman's, right? And just go in there and just steal valuable things by the rackloads. These are the types of violence and attacks that are happening. I don't know why. I mean, other than you know, people want to steal money and order a whole bunch of jackets and try to fence them. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys saw or heard about you know Philadelphia. The 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 protesters were just awarded ten million dollars for for rioting and, and looting, right? Um, because they weren't allowed the the opportunity to social um, protest. It was a riot. You know, they were awarded to. So is that? a bad behavior is going to instigate and create more of this type of behavior because a 10 million dollar check is a big check right i'm sure the lawyers took their fair half but uh, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting development but as you th- riddle it out from the armored car side we were, we we're seeing a a steep increase in locations that typically don't have one the northeast just had an, had an attack california day after day had attacks so yeah. That's my no i mean it is
2: interesting and you're right we don't know why and the, the root cause it's is it just i don't know i don't know i mean are people in such an economic situation where they need a lot of money as opposed to a little money they don't need a, a jacket they want like a whole armored car full of stuff i don't know yeah. i have no idea <laughs> yeah
3: and it's it's scary and you know The one thing that that people don't understand that's very important to understand this is that an armored car robbery is typically not performed um, spontaneously. These are technically or typically very, very organized events, months of surveillance, many, many people involved as far as lookouts and and routes. And so these things are, you know, people say, oh, that'll never happen to me. We deal a lot with, you know, the ISOs, the, the smaller ATM kiosk people unarmed, they don't wear uniforms, they're carrying a bag of cash, cars unmarked. They're like, yeah, they don't know who I am, but I'm like, they they know who you are because you're going to an ATM every Tuesday at nine o'clock and they know that you go to another ATM after that. So how much is in your car, you know, and you know, is your card value? So that that's, the, it's the education portion of it that, that I think is important to understand that you're still carrying cash. One of the most, it's the most liquid form of asset, right? that it's highly desirable because you don't have to do anything else to it other than spend it. So I think people just need to be a little more cautious and aware of their surroundings. Yep.
1: So you, you, you kind of answered one of my questions of like market, are you seeing a transition into markets that you didn't see it before? Um, and you said, yeah, you already answered that. But so I guess my other question is, and this is a loaded question, I know it is Brad, but are are the, is it just more or are they more violent, more, or is it a combination of both? Because, you know, I, I work with a lot of groups where we're seeing a a much higher rate of violence in in these type of events. Where um, I'm not minimizing that a robbery is a robbery, but before someone would go and take something and leave and threaten you, and now today they're they're shooting first or attacking someone and then stealing. So, are you seeing that same? type of activity in the armored space or is
3: it you know so last year we it's been fairly flat you know 45 ish or less right fairly flat for the past three or four years i think that and it's and it's it's kind of predictable as well as by month as well so you can kind of see it pick up around the holiday times sometimes there's a latency that's you know in january there may be pop up uh july summer months you know the high cash usage areas you know for vacations and you know, where people are using the actual physical currency. Um, but it's just been, I think we were so kind of rested and understood that hey, you know, it it's it has slowed down. And now maybe we're just more aware because it's happening and happening more frequently. So the end of year numbers may look the same, but as of right now, it's it looks like a heightened event. I will tell you that the armored carriers do a very good job of investigating and working with local law enforcement. From a larger perspective to try to, to thwart this especially the armored car you know they they're continuing to go more and more down to single person vehicles and all kinds of great technology on the trucks and different stuff and you know kind of going back to the the, the initial comment of you know, banks lowering the amounts of currency that are out in the environment too so that helps as well because it's a less desirable target but that's a big component of this is, is collaboration between law enforcement the armored vendor and the bank's trying to figure out a kind of a common strategy so that this is actually attended to from a threat perspective because the you know when you the average robbery when you go to a bank it's like what three grand six, i think it's no six thousand dollars and it's typically by somebody hands over a note you know i'm not going to tell you what the armored car is it's not important but but you know you've got thousands of those bank you know robberies that happen a year very little very, very little violence to uh, consider that the other I'll, you could armor armored car and it's, it's high violence right very very high violence
1: um, yeah so I think we're I'm hearing similar I mean obviously not I don't do a lot in the armor curses what about um just last question for you around I know that when we were together back in the fall there was still a lot with the ATM you know from an ATM perspective. Are you still seeing like the chain pulls and people actually ripping them out of the
3: walls and yeah, yeah? So you know, back, the the violent portions of it and the ATM chain gangs is kind of what we call it. Um, you know, you could you could almost pinpoint to Houston, right? As Houston was such a for five year, three years, Houston was a terrible place. If you were to add up every other state, it still wouldn't equal what was happening in Houston, right? As far as robbers. So the banks have done a very smart thing and created different type of barriers, um crossbars, lighting and fixtures. You know all kinds of good stuff, right, to make the and the manufacturers have have made it harder to put a grapple and hook on the machine. And they've done some stuff to, to bolster the machine, machines. So we've seen that the bigger bank ATMs, the branded as we call branded ATMs, kind of decreasing. The smaller ISOs, you know, they're still yanking them out of the ground, right, and. Um, and it's it comes in pockets and goes in waves so the, these traveling gangs you know three or four people you know a small atm weighs a couple hundred pounds so it doesn't take a whole lot to put a chain around it rip it out the the, the funny slash bad thing about it is is that when they're doing it in convenience stores you know the they're the damage to the convenience store itself it's is 10 sense. times more than the value of the atm and the components inside the atm you know so it's it's really the collateral damage that's that's the bigger from the insurance uh, perspective that's that's the problem the atm is you know it is what it is yeah
1: all right i think uh well for start thanks for thanks for joining us hopefully uh you'll come back again soon i mean uh it wasn't that long ago that we had you on but that was impromptu and we just grabbed you so Sean, final words for everybody. Come on, there's a lot going on. What's? Don't you have any uh, any Sean news? Are you going to be anywhere? Can anybody come visit you?
2: <laughs> any Sean news? Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, let's see. So in a couple weeks. Um, so for those that don't don't know, uh, I am back at Currency Research now. Uh, we could make that that announcement here. So looking forward back. to seeing back. I'm, I'm back. Um uh, looking forward to seeing everybody at all of. CR's upcoming events, but I'm also going to be at, before our next currency um, research event, uh, I will be at, speaking of armor carriers, um, I'll be at IACOA in Dallas. Um, so I look forward to saying hi to some folks there. If you're around, come say hi. Um, and then that's at the beginning of May. And then like a week after that, we'll be together in Mexico City. Um, so definitely see some folks in Mexico city
1: for the currency conference
2: and digital currency conference. Yep.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'll be in Mexico city. I don't think Brad's joining us, but you never know. You never know. Uh, he, he's an international man of mystery. You could actually, <laughs> up. but yeah, I, I plan to be in, uh, in Mexico city. So we'll obviously do live there. And I think hopefully we can, we can make it episode 50 and have a party in Mexico city. Um, uh, and with that, because we well, this is a long one, which is okay because we you know, we did a couple short ones. Um, thank you for uh, tuning in. Uh, I don't know if you're watching us, if you're watching us, it's good to see you. Uh, if you are listening to this and you're not subscribed, which for whatever reason the banking industry every listens and tells me that they don't know what subscribe means, well, you know, follow or subscribe anywhere where you can hear through a podcast uh, podcast, it helps us a lot. And if you can take the time to leave a review, it also helps us a lot. But thanks for listening. and Brad, Thank you for joining us as always.
3: Anytime, whatever you guys need, always. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to the Cash News Podcast. We hope you found this episode insightful. Don't forget to like and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and be sure to visit us at thecashnews.com to stay up to date with the latest on the world of cash. Thanks again for listening to the Cash News Podcast.